Hello, America. I'm Robert Reese, and welcome to CEO Show. We're here today with Susan Neely. How are you, Susan? I am well. And Susan is the president and CEO of the American Council of Life Insurers, ACLI. We're going to hear all about what's happening from the association business in insurance, as well as in things like gender equity, and even things like inflation. And then you're going to hear a fabulous personal story. So let's just start off. Talk about ACLI and what your business model is. Well, ACLI is the trade association that represents the life insurance sector. So think of all your life insurance brands out there, large, medium, small companies across the country. Essentially, we're 94, 95% of the industry assets, the entire sector. Our mission on behalf of the life insurance industry is to advance really good public policy at the state level, the federal level, and even globally so that our companies can continue to uh, provide financial security to all Americans. So you're really focused then very much on societal needs and addressing those Talk specifically which ones you are focused on. Really appreciate the way that you phrased the question because that is our mission at its core. Life insurance uh, is a is a wonderful mission-driven business, and you put that together with good public policy, and you can really make a difference in people's lives. So think about retirement security and the retirement savings crisis that we're really facing there. You know, 10,000 of us are turning 65 every day for the next decade. And of those people turning 65, a third only have zero to $25,000 in savings. You know, that that's not enough. I mean, people are living longer and they are on the verge of outliving their savings. And that's before you get into student loan debt and particular challenges that women face in saving adequately or black and brown Americans. So that's a big one for us. Uh, caregiving, um, paid family medical leave, another big challenge for us out there as a country. And then, of course, life insurance is just the core product, having that available at an accessible to all and affordable to all. That can be co- the core of your financial security plan as a family. Those are just some of the issues that we think about every single day when we get up and, and uh, go to work on behalf of our members. And it's a really poignant message that you make about middle America and how it's impacted. We're all facing the highest inflation we've had in 40 years. How does that tie into this? Well, you know, it's a it's a triple whammy of, of world crises. So we've had a global pandemic never before. We have war in the Ukraine that is affecting the entire globe. And uh, we have inflation related to all of that. You know, if people were stressed in their financial security and their retirement savings and uh, there was a caregiving gap before the pandemic, all of these needs and concerns have been exacerbated post-pandemic, and now we're facing this high inflation world. So, you know, our mission is financial security for all. And so we're thinking about this all the time. What are policies that can help people meet their financial needs? In your opinion, what is the role of associations like 
ACLI and other associations when we're in a world like this? The way to think about an association, and I know a lot of the audience are probably members of an association because there's, there's one for every sector of the economy out there. The way to get the real value out of your association is where are you better together? Where are the synergies that give you more power, again, to advance good public policy, to advance solutions that are important to society, solving a societal problem, to your consumers, who are also voters and members of our communities, and, um, and of course, to your business as well. I like to think about, you know, if you're, if you are sitting down with your board of directors, uh, as I do with the ACLI board, I'll say, what's the sweet spot? Uh, think of the Venn diagram. There's societal needs, there's consumer needs, there's our business needs, and what's that sweet spot right in the center? That is your value proposition. And you know, one of the things we've done here um, from the beginning when I started four years ago was to figure out our value proposition and then what we're for. We do not go forth to Capitol Hill across the street or the uh, governor's office in your state capitol or to our regulators without having a solution in mind. So pick the societal challenge, know what our consumers are thinking about it, know what our business needs are, and then come forth with something that you're for. And that's my advice to every CEO out there who says, you know, what am I getting out of my trade association? You know, go solve problems that affect your consumers and communities. Figure out what you're for. Figure out what your better way idea is. If you don't like what, you know, a congressional committee is putting forth or a state legislative committee, what's your idea? Bring all that intellectual and business power to bear and put the solutions on the table. That's the secret sauce. Um, and it's, I, I can assure you it's very effective, but it takes some intellectual candle power and hard work back inside the association with our members' engagement to, to figure out the path for some of these things. And when you do it, it's so powerful and so exciting and so meaningful. That's great. I want to hear an example because I think the concept of coming up with solutions is terrific. And you are completely bipartisan. You've worked at the highest level with Republicans, with Democrats, with everyone. Tell me an example of something that ACLI did that you were really proud of when you found a solution. I'll give you a couple examples. One is just, I talked about the retirement savings crisis. You know, so what's the policy solution? We are four square behind policies in Congress that will, will help plug the gaps. Um, and when you're talking about retirement policy, there's, there's lots of, it sounds like sort of legal, um, uh, things that need to be done, but it, it's, they're important and they can really make a difference. So the first major retirement security legislation in a, decade in 2019, and we're closing on the second round of that for this year. I should be knocking wood wherever I can to um, uh, make the point that uh, we don't jinx anything because we feel really good about it. But what this legislation does is it, it makes it easier for small businesses to offer retirement savings uh, vehicles to their employees. It plugs gap where, gaps where military spouses can, um, or part-time workers, um, among others, can access uh, retirement savings vehicles sooner. A saver's credit, um, which helps low-income families um, uh, save more easily. So you think about a host of things. It, the legislation that we're, that Congress is currently looking at would help those that are trying to pay off their student loan debt 
also save for retirement because it allows their employer to invest in the 401k for them at the same time the employee is paying for their retirement savings. So that's um, or paying off their student loan debt. So those are some examples in retirement security of how the policy works. And we put all of our muscle and might behind it, get it passed. The other example I would give you is our 360 Community Capital Initiative, which is groundbreaking, never been done before, and it's involving the life insurance industry, helping tackle the affordable housing crisis in this country. Affordable housing is a critical pathway to uh, family financial security, individual financial security. And we've got a, a group here right now of chief investment officers from all of our companies putting their heads together and figuring out the path to do that. Susan, there are millions of people, it might be as high as a quarter of Americans who actually don't have life insurance. What are you doing to try to make it more accessible? Well, let me give you a couple examples of uh, uh, solutions that are getting advanced to help address that savings gap. And one relates to just the use of technology. And you have to make um, just the the, uh, purchase of life insurance, the understanding of the products, how it fits your needs, and the actual purchase easier for people. We're in a society right now that, you know, we're all used to grabbing our um, uh, personal devices and finding out information and making decisions with that. And the companies are really responding to this need and uh, working on how to use technology to make uh, the, the purchase of life insurance more accessible. The second thing that we're doing is finding partners all across the board in Congress and state houses and junior achievement and other nonprofits how do we raise the level of financial education and awareness in this country so people understand how to plan and prepare, including life insurance at the core of a good, solid plan? And everyone remember, CEOs, number one, think about solutions. When there are things you want to do, come up with the solution, and then there are places you could go to make those solutions a reality. And the second is be purposeful. On that note, back in a few. I'm Robert Reese. We're here today with Susan Neal. So you have almost 95%, about 280 member life insurance companies, the top ones in the world. What is it that CEOs should know but may not know about life insurance? One, I'm going to speak on behalf of the whole life insurance sector and give you what I think is an eye-popping couple pieces of data. Here was the impact of life insurance industry during the global pandemic. Uh, We had our record payout in benefits to people, uh, $90 billion in 2020 alone, and then data for 2021 looks very similar. And that was our highest payout in our entire 175-year history. The closest we ever came before was during the influenza global pandemic in 1918. So you just see the 
the scope and impact of what we do to secure, provide family financial security and uh, support people, no government support. Uh, this is just what we do and how we roll. The second part of the uh, answer to your question is uh, the life insurance industry as the long-term patient capital that invests in American infrastructure. We invest $572 million a day in the U.S. economy and things that make this country go. And we're very proud of that. And it's, it's not always understood the scope of our impact, but financial security for all Americans, investing in what makes the economy go. That's what you need to know about the life insurance industry. Speaking of making things go, you know that I have personally been pounding away that we need more women CEOs and that that's what will really make our whole nation go more. Talk about your thoughts about women, gender equity, DEI, what needs to be happening and what your vision I think it's easy to say, but it has taken us a while to get to this point, but I'm, I'm all about the progress that's being made. And so uh, this is a, an optimistic uh, comment. I think the key is that we are purposeful, that we are purposeful, that inside um, C-suites where uh, succession strategies are being discussed, inside the, the nominating committee for a board of directors for a company or for a trade association, that that question is asked. It just starts with something that simple. Who are the available candidates? Who's in our pipeline? Do we need to be engaging um, a more, more diverse set of candidates or grooming people to be considered for the ultimate CEO position? I think that's been the the missing piece or was a missing piece for too long. And I think it's the secret sauce now. I can tell you we're making great progress. I see it across the life insurance industry. There's sort of a, a generational shift that's beginning to happen um, with retirements going on. And we're seeing um, diversity in the ranks that meet, leads to diversity on our own board here at ACLI. And I see it in my ranks of association CEOs. Um, you know, I, I believe we have a lot of influence on the U.S. economy through our members and the sectors we represent. When I started as a trade association CEO about 20 years ago, you know, I could count on one hand the number of women that were CEOs. And now that's, we're probably up to about a third of trade association CEOs that are female. And, you know, and we're seeing other kinds of diversity as well. But that, that came from uh, search committees and nominating committees and C-suites being purposeful and saying, this is going to matter to our bottom line. This is going to matter to how we engage uh, with consumers and our communities. And we need to figure out how to make it happen. On that note, we're at an exciting point of the interview. You have a personal story. I think it was May 6th, was it not? In 2001, yes, 21 years ago, um, we adopted uh, a little baby, 10-month-old baby from an orphanage in Phnom Penh, Cambodia. And so quite a journey to a country that had been ravaged by war and uh, was very much, well, it's still a, a developing country, although it's made a lot of progress in 20 years, quite a journey to go to this orphanage in the outskirts of uh, Phnom Penh, uh, be handed your, uh, your new son and um, fly back to the United States of America. I knew that we had just changed our laws in this country at that time. So the minute a uh, adopted child who is legally adopted uh, uh, by the laws of the home country and the U.S. 
cross through customs, uh, he or she would be a U.S. citizen. So I have to tell you that as we crossed through customs at JFK, it was the probably the single most patriotic moment of my life, because not only did we have our new son with us in our uh, our country, but I knew he was a U.S. citizen with all of that entails and imports uh, for his future. And uh, a very, very powerful moment. Um, but it became very relevant a few months later when uh, the U.S. was attacked by terrorists on September 11th. And I had got the call to serve to go into the White House and Homeland Security. And the reason not to go was we had this new baby and also a, an older uh, child. But the reason to go was to help fight for uh, our country and its democratic values and everything we stand for. And I gratefully answered the call of service. Um, I'm grateful my mother came and helped with the children <laughs> during my time with serving uh, the U.S. And um, it's a uh, it continues to be close to my heart. You know, one of those things that uh, on my tombstone, it'll say she was a mother, uh, very important. Uh, she served her country and maybe did one or two other things as well. But those will be right up there. I remember um, when I first interviewed um, Governor Ridge and how I was hit so viscerally. Just share with us on a final moment any thoughts you had on what you accomplished there and why it was so significant in your life. You know, I think we got uh, this whole transformative way of securing the United States. We got it started. And I can't overstate how difficult that was. And it wasn't like you could pilot anything, um, you know, behind the scenes for six months. You had to. It was the ultimate, like the technology companies say, sort of plan, do, get feedback, plan, do. It was enormously challenging bringing together uh, dozens of uh, federal agencies that had never, not ever worked before. It was enormously challenging figuring out the scope of how we should increase security and keep our borders open. And we got it going. Uh, far from perfect, um, but it was, um, I think, meaningful and certainly under Secretary Ridge's watch, uh, the country stayed safe. So I think that's a very important contribution as well. Well, I commend you on all of your contributions that you've done if anyone is interested in ACLI, what is the website? ACLI.com. Uh, please come. We got a rich array of policies and ideas and solutions. And I want to thank you so much, Susan, for your contributions to America, to society, to the economy, and the great work that you're doing. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you and have this conversation. <laughs> 